3: who gon' stop me high breathtaking a mood that I make I give it everything I got cause that what it takes I push the limit till it break the heart of the brave the soul of a legend with the will to be great hold
2: up welcome <laughs> what's up everybody Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly Stephen A. Smith coming at you, as I love to do at least three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check your local list and see where you can find your podcast. And wherever you can find your podcast, you will find No Mercy with Stephen A. You know, my guest today is going to be noted hip-hop mogul, the one and only, Mr. Fat Joe. It's got a book coming out, the Book of Jose. And one of the things that I like to do. And it's it's counter to what most people think about me. See, when you see me on TV or you hear me over the airways, whether it be television, radio, streaming, anywhere else, you hear somebody, yes, words like bombastic and demonstrative come to mind. And yes, I call it like I see it. All of that is true. It'll never change. It's who I am. It's what I'm about. Because when you're from the streets of New York City, One of the things that people miss is that you're not trying to be malicious or evil or anything like that. You're just raised surrounded by BS. And when I say surrounded by BS, I'm not talking about necessarily in your neighborhood. I'm talking about when you turn on the television or you turn on the radio and you listen to people uh, that have a voice uh, where their message gets disseminated to the masses and you say to yourself, you know what? That ain't necessarily the real true story. And so when you're growing up and you experience certain things, you want to be candid. You want to be matter-of-fact. You want to be straightforward. The hazard in that, however, when you get older, is that people get so caught up into what you're identified with that they marginalize your mode of thinking in their mind. They think that's all you are. And that's not all I am. Yes, I will call it like I see it. Yes, I will tell you exactly where I stand. Yes, I'm about pounding that pavement. The theme of this particular podcast is don't knock the hustle. Don't knock the hustle. Because I've been hustling all my life. Hustle is not a negative word to me. It's about being on your grind, pushing, pushing forward. No matter what obstacles stand in your way. No matter what paths. You have to endure no matter what arduous circumstances you're subjected to. You're going to keep marching forward. But I bring all of that up and I get into all of that with y'all because Fat Joe, he's one of the people that I've always wanted to interview when I think about a podcast. I've interviewed him on television before. But why would I want to interview him for a podcast? It ain't just because he's got a book coming out, y'all. That's not what this is about. This is about taking opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to not just celebrate people's accomplishment. But the path they had to travel to get to where they ultimately got to. That's the number one reason I love doing my podcast. Yeah, I'm going to tell it like it is. Yeah, I'm going to be Stephen A. That's who the hell I am. I'm going to tell you exactly where I stand. I'm going to tell you why I stand that way. And unless you got facts to counter my argument that usurped the argument I made, I don't give a damn what you say. I'm going to stand on what the hell I say. All of that is true. But that's when I'm talking. When I'm interviewing somebody, it's an entirely different matter. Because at that particular moment in time, yes, you touch on news and relevant items. Yes, you get to your points. You do all of that. Absolutely true. But it's really about people telling their story. And it's about them educating folks, not just about themselves, but about what real adversity looks like. What you truly, truly had to endure. The path to prosperity that you had to travel that was filled with potholes and walls. And various other obstacles that most people simply appear incapable of overcoming from time to time. So when I see people with those stories, that is what resonates with me. Why the hell do you think I take time to tell y'all I got left back? Here I am. Long before I was a star personality, per se. People act like they want to forget, but I don't allow them to forget that I was a big-time journalist. You can say what you want. Check the bios. Check the resume. Check the facts. New York Daily News, Philadelphia Inquirer, CNNSI, Fox Sports, and ESPN. That's my resume. And then ultimately, ESPN Radio, and ultimately a national syndicated radio show, and ultimately a national television show. Check my resume. I'm from Hollis, Queens, born in the Bronx, raised in Hollis since I was one years old. There's a lot that I had to go through, getting left back, being in fourth grade with a first grade reading level, having undiagnosed dyslexia that I really didn't learn until years later when my sister ultimately helped me out because she was an educator. Obstacles, obstacles, obstacles. I ain't supposed to. Be. I know that's, that, that's a double negative and that's grammatically incorrect, but I'm saying it for effect. I ain't supposed to be here. Not where I'm at. There's a lot of people that are stars, but guess what? No matter how hard they had to work and what they had to endure, there were some people who were destined for it. And then there are other folks with other stories. There's no way in hell you saw it coming. I see cats like Jay-Z all the time when he's being interviewed and he talks about how he walks into a room as himself. that he doesn't try to be anybody else. I think about Nas and Fabulous and all of these cats and the obstacles they had to go through. I'm thinking about actors and actresses and how phenomenal they are and how folks were counting them out. But the people that I pay attention to most... Are those with seemingly insurmountable odds stacked against them because of where they were born, the environment that they were living in, the obstacles that they had to endure, how their very survival was at stake? One of my all-time favorite movies was Boys in the Hood. You know why? Because when you saw cats that made it out, guess what? You wondered every day, every day, whether they'd come home safe and sound. You know what that's like, ladies and gentlemen? to wake up as a parent and to send your kid to school not knowing if they'll make it back just because of the streets that they're in, the lore of gang violence, gang, and you know, all of this other stuff. You don't think that's hard. It's a nightmare. And I remember the scene, you know, from, from straight out of Compton when Ice Cube was on a bus and some kids were on a bus with him coming home from school, and some ignorant kid who was playing around and threw up some gang sign, and the car pulled over in front of the bus, stopped the bus, cat rolled up on there. Let the kid know you don't play around. Put a gun to his face. I might be the one that takes you out. See, those weren't the movies. It was real life for some people including Fat Joe, his brother from the South Bronx, Puerto Rican and Cuban descent. Pigmentation is not that of a black person. How the hell did he survive? There was drugs, there was gangbanging, there was all that stuff. What this dude endured, what he went through, the kind of stuff people put him through. And you say, why he find himself in that situation? Because a lot of people that grow up in different situations, they don't comprehend that. They don't sit up there and inhale the fact that you're stuck. Literally stuck. There's some people. A lot of kids out here, they don't have a choice. I know folks who have been members of gangs. Because their choice was that. Or die. Because if you don't have a support system, if you don't take a side, you stand alone. And when you stand alone, you're subject and vulnerable to mobs. They can do what they want against you because you're outnumbered. When you have folks, particularly from the minority populations in this country, that lament the upper hand that some group of people have in this country compared to others, those are the kind of things they're talking about. When you're an adult, when you make it to adulthood, the reason why you don't have an abundance of people feeling sorry for you is because you've made your choice. But I don't care who you are. There's always empathy for children. Because they're subjected to whatever circumstances they're subjected to. They don't have a choice. And when you don't have a choice, you can end up on the wrong side of the track. And your world could come crashing down before you even had an opportunity to build anything for yourself. See, when I think about Fat Joe, that's what I think about talking to him about. Tomorrow night in New York City at the Apollo Theater. Fat Joe will be in attendance with yours truly. I'll be moderating a one-on-one discussion with him about his life. His trials and tribulations, his travails, the obstacles he had to overcome, how he got to where he is today. This fat kid, Puerto Rican and Cuban descent, ultimately was a brother to a whole bunch of black folks in the South Bronx. Him walking down the street, it's like one of our own. How the hell did get to that point? Where that level of love and devotion and respect and adulation come from? How did he earn that? What did he have to endure and maneuver through to get to that point? How did he become a dude that was revered by the community? That was considered an untouchable. Kidnapped, beaten down, chased down, life in danger drugs, all of this other stuff that goes on in the hood, he was subjected to. how he get to this point? Did he ever think he would get to this point? Who helped him through it? What obstacles did he face? What friends and enemies did he make along the way? How did a black community treat this white-looking Puerto Rican slash Cuban like he was a brother? And I shouldn't say like, because he is. Ladies and gentlemen, the Apollo going to be stacked tomorrow night. It ain't because of Stephen A. It's because of that brother. My uncle had a clothing store on 135th and Malcolm X Boulevard. Next door to him, my father owned a hardware store, service store, hardware store. I was born in the Bronx, raised in Hollis, Queens, and was in Harlem practically every day of my teenage life because of my uncle and my father. I played ball on 135th and Lenox. Half the time, that's where I was balling. They want to sit up there and talk about me. Well, you couldn't ball. You didn't average nothing when you was in college. Yeah, that's what a cracked kneecap will do for you. I didn't play in college but one or two games because I cracked my kneecap in half. But how did I get a basketball scholarship? Because I was playing against them brothers in Harlem. That was where my schooling took place. And West 4th Street. And O'Connell Park and Jamaica Park in Queens. And Staten Island. You want to make your bones, you want to show what you was made of on any level, whether it was sports, hip-hop, or otherwise. You had to travel throughout the streets of New York to show your metal. I got that in common with Fat Joe. I know where he comes from. I know what he's about. Because that was my life too. I didn't go on the side of the tracks that he went on. I was lucky and fortunate enough to be able to avoid that. But I told y'all before what my part of my story is. Stephen A. Smith wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some drug dealers. They knew I had potential, and they said, no, you don't do this. We see you doing some nonsense in these streets, on these corners in the park. We're going to whip your ass. Plain and simple. That's exactly what they said. I'm quoting, and they protected me. Now, I didn't know, and usually where I'm at, You get there because of athletics or because you're an artist. Not because you're a former journalist that became a personality. I've been blessed. Very, very lucky. Fat Joe will tell you so has he. That's why we're talking to him today. That's why his story is important. Because if we're really, really trying to do good, what we're trying to do is make a difference. And you can't make a difference by not telling your story and telling people and alerting them to the trials and tribulations and the pitfalls and the potholes and the obstacles that are going to imminently stand in their way. Ladies and gentlemen, your fall is inevitable. No path is paved with tranquility. Obstacles are a way of life. If you believe in your God, whether it's God, Allah, uh, Jehovah Witnesses, you're Jewish, you're Buddhist, you're Hindu, or whatever. If you believe in anything, there isn't a religion, a faith alive that doesn't talk to you about obstacles. They're coming for us all. It ain't about falling down. It's about whether you get up. Fat Joe can tell that story very, very well. He's about to. Up next, right here on No Mercy with Stephen A. Don't touch that dial.
3: This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high?
2: My guest today has been a veteran of the hip hop game for over 30 years and is a multi Grammy nominated and multi Platinum selling recording artist who's also an actor, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and just added author to his impressive resume with his soon to be released memoir, The Book of Jose. Please welcome a true musical icon, the one and only Fat Joe's in the house. What's
4: up, baby? I got the book right here. I got the book right Simon here. It's right Talies-ly. here. Simon Taliesley. I mean, I'm honored to be here, my brother. You know, uh, your voice is very necessary for our community, uh, sports, you know, everything that's going on. We love Stephen A. Smith. You have one of the most legendary voices and opinions in American culture. So anytime I could get to be in front of you and plug my book in, it's an honor.
2: Man, please. The honor is all mine. We've known each other for years. You've always been good to me, man. Ain't nothing but love between the both of us, man. Now, thank you so much for being on my podcast right now. Let me ask the first question. Um, the Book of Jose, why did you decide to write this book? Why now?
4: Man, I didn't want to pass away and have somebody else write it. Mm. And so when you read this book, you go in so much detail about my life. You learn so many things. So back in the days, we just make music. And it was all about being mystique, being private. Nobody knows your business. Uh, mm. And so nowadays, I got mature enough, old enough to where I wanted to tell my own story with trans- total transparency. I talk about being one of the most poorest guys in the world to, you know, going through so much trials and tribulations. I don't just tell you I won the fight. I tell you when I got bullied, I got beat up. Mm. And so I want people who are going through dark times to pick up this book and realize you could go through dark times. You could get through, you could go through a bunch of stuff, but uh, you can still smile at the end of the day. How dark was it for you? Too dark. I mean, I lost Big Pun, uh, who's my brother, Mm. who I truly love from the bottom of my heart. I lost my sister. I lost my grandfather all in about a week or two. Mm. And so that's when that's the first time I ever felt depression. And uh, I remember it was a time, I'll answer you, dark because I remember it was a time where it could be a sunny day like today and I look out the window and it'd be cloudy and dark. Mm. And if my wife got up and she smelled good about to go with her girlfriends to dinner or whatever, i get upset. You know, I used to... Sleep in the, in the, in the, in the bathtub with no water running, just looking at the ceiling and trying mm. to figure out because your mind is like a Ru- Rubik's cube mm. and try, you know, and I'm, I, you know, I've been able to, you know, I never use drugs, man. I never drank. I like to think I'm intelligent. I was trying to figure this out. Right. You know, I went I went to help for uh to a therapist for two years. How long ago was this? How how old were you at that time when you went to a therapist? Man, that was when Big Pun just had passed. It was 20 years ago. Okay, gotcha. And so uh me going, uh she taught me about myself. And I remember one night we were doing like a rest in peace mural for pun two years later. And two guys walked by. I owe these guys so much money, these guys. Mm. They are walking by, and one guy said, yo, what they doing? And he was like, nah, they do that every year. That's a memorial for Big Pun." And mm. so the guy said, every year? He said, yeah, it's been like two years now. And then just ricocheted in my head. Two years, two years, mm. two years, two years. Yeah. And I snapped out of it, and I said, yo, you got to stop beating yourself up. There's nothing you can do. You can't bring them back. Can't bring your sister back. You got to move forward. And uh, that experience has always helped me to stay in the light mm. because there's certain things that trigger you and bring you towards depression and being down. And that taught me to never feed into that, mm. to just keep going towards the light and think of everything positive. You know, I'm. Um, you know, I'm like a hip-hop Joel Osteen. You know, somebody I pull up, somebody takes my parking. I like say, that maybe analogy. God, <laughs> no, maybe God told me there's a better parking for me down the block. Yeah. Like, I, like I, you know, I don't want no smoke. And uh, and, and so, it, it, you know, you learn from your from what you go through in life. You know, one of the
2: things you talk about, and, and you talk about it in your book, but you also talk about it when people, I mean, you know, cats that love you, that know you, you know, you talk about these things. You've never been run one to shy away or run away from any subject. But I think about you, you know, grew up living in public housing, growing up in the South Bronx. You described it like a war zone. We know about it. I mean, I was born in the Bronx, raised in Hollis. You know that. Vacant buildings, dark lots, fights every day at school and all of that stuff. So there's a level of adversity that you had experienced very, very early on in your Mm -hmm. life, long before the passing of Big Pun and others. Of course, I want to know... When you reflect on the earliest part of your years on this earth, what was that like for you compared to what you had to go through when you were going through those bouts of depression after losing your sister, Big Pun, and of course, you know, you know, other family members?
4: Well, you know what happens, Steve, is when you grow up in a neighborhood, my mother my mother and my and my grandmother lived in my projects 30 to 40 years before I, I was born there. So when I'm born there, I'm Joey. I'm fat Joey. Yep. And so I I received nothing but love and embracement. And uh we were poor, but we had each other. You know, Puerto Ricans, they throw parties if it rained. Like they'd be like, yo, it's raining today, throw a party. No, <laughs> it's uh it's uh Ronald Reagan's cousin's birthday. They yep. throw a party. Like right. they, they don't care, right. right? And so we grew up with with that vibe. And so we had love, and we didn't know what we were missing. Mm. You know, that's some of the problem with the gift and the curse of this day with social media. Kids are seeing what they're missing. Mm. We didn't know. We look at good times. We look at Brady Bunch. We look at that. Right. We didn't know. And so um, I grew up with a lot of love. You know, hip-hop was born in my neighborhood. So I'm not talking about crosstown, uptown. Like I used to see Mr. Ness and Melly Mel from Grandmaster. Grandmaster Flash is one of the founding fathers of hip hop. No so doubt. you got Grandmaster Flash, you got Kuart, and you got uh, Bambada, right? Well, Those are the three.
2: African Bambada.
4: Yep. Right? So now Grandmaster Flash, when he used to DJ, they used to use vinyl. My big brother was a crate boy who mm. used to carry his vinyl to the jams and the block parties, the legendary battles, and take it back on. So I was born up in this thing. Um, I could tell you one thing, right? Because the the Bronx, if people don't understand, Google the 70s and 80s, it looked like a war zone. It's not an exaggeration. Right. It looked like Ukraine right now. God God bless. But um, I remember being 12, Steve, and sitting next to my man, Louie, and I know you can relate, there's somewhere in your life you felt like this. We had no Instagram. We had not not even rap videos ain't even start yet. Right. And I remember just looking out at the rubble telling Louie, yo, I'm going to get rich or die trying. Like, Damn this right. ain't for me. Yes. And he was like, well, he didn't understand because we didn't know no rich people. But I right. was like, I'm going to get rich. Yeah. I'm not living in these projects the rest of my it life. It wasn't just for
2: me to, to to point to the point that you're making. Yeah, you were in Hollis, Queens, in the single-family homes at that particular moment in time, but born in the Bronx, got relatives on... My relatives was on Webster Ave. So I'm over there on yes. Webster Ave. You're on the 17th floor and stuff. You got piss-infested elevators and walls and stuff. It ain't just yeah. the graffiti. It's the smell. It's yeah. everything. And it's congestion. You're on top of one another. And then you got America and people looking at folks like we crazy and stuff like that. Well, damn it, if you put everybody on top of one another with no space to breathe at all, figuratively mm. speaking, of course, you damn right. That might end up causing you some damn problems. And you just, and, and, it incentivized you because it said. I got to get the hell up out of here. I ain't trying. This ain't trying to be my life because my relatives were living there for decades. So I know exactly what you're talking about.
4: And I loved it. And shout out to Webster. And I grew up yeah. in 170 from Third Avenue, which is no doubt. up the block from there. Yeah. Um, shout out to uh my projects. At one time when I was hustling, I didn't even want to move out the projects. Yeah. The whole thing for me, we had so much money in the closet of the projects. Yeah. And refused to move out because I had lived there so much and I was protected so much that I knew an old lady walking in the darkest moment of night. I knew that was Miss Parker. Yeah. I knew that was Jimmy. I knew that was Little Juan. I knew territory. everybody. Right. And so it was so, you know, you know, and when I think about it, one day I was in, uh we was in Turks and Caicos. I just had you talk to Khaled. Me and Khaled and one of my best friends, my stylist, Terrell. And I told him, yo, man, I grew up in such a bad place. I grew up in, he told me, not that bad. They ain't kill you in the lobby of the building. Yeah. And so I said, you know what? You're right. And this is why so much I like giving back to the community. So much I like opening businesses in my community. I like giving food to the community because I realized through everything I did, the community protected me. And here's the interesting part that I have because you Puerto Rican, you got you you're Puerto Rican and
2: Cuban. That's what you. That's mm-hmm. where you come from. All right? right, not black, but you're surrounded by a bunch of black people. How did that happen for you? How did that work out for you? Where you know what
4: you you were embraced as as one of our own. We didn't view that's you it. any different. Talk about that for a second. Listen, bro, Fat Joe was born with blonde hair, green eyes, looking like the Brady Bunch, and you can't tell like. To this day, you can't tell I heard nothing about Fat Jump. Mm-hmm. I, I went to a funeral uh, for a girl that I grew up with. Her name is Keisha. Two, three weeks ago in Harlem, but she's from my projects. Right. She went to college. She became a nurse. It's sad what happened to her. But when I sat down, I sat down with like four or five people from my project building. Uh, then it turned to 10, 20, 30 people I haven't seen in 20 years. My day ones People who who uh, babysit me. And at one point I sit around and I look and I'm like, holy shit, I am the only Puerto Rican in this (laughs) (laughs) motherfucker." It's not a lie. What do you want me to do? It's not a lie. I'm sitting there like... And so I never felt racism in my projects. I never felt... I started at the Apollo Theater, amateur night at the Apollo. I've always been embraced by black culture. I grew up as a black guy, as weird as it Cause sound. It wasn't until I was in high school that I met. So in my community, it was ninety percent. It was it was ninety percent black. And Webster is exactly where I talk about. And my and my grandmother's block was ninety nine point nine percent black. Wow. It was like yo, no Spanish people was popping there, right? Yeah. Then uh, in high school, I meet a guy named C that's in the book, and he says, "Yo, why don't you come with me to my hood?" So when I go to his hood, it's in Brook Avenue. It's salsa. It's Puerto Ricans all over. All over Puerto Rican flans. Then I met black guys that were the darkest acorn dark that was speaking fluent Spanish. Like, oh yeah, Bobby, look at that. <laughs> they didn't know they was black. <laughs> and so at that time, we didn't have social media. We did not know what was going on ten minutes away. That, you know they say that. Uh, People's fathers go to the store for milk and they came back a month later. Yeah, right. And you you wouldn't even know you got cousins around the corner. Exactly. It it was a world away.
2: So how did you go from that to the music industry? Talk to me about that. When did that, when did that epiphany hit you? When did you invade the whole hip hop genre, the whole music situation?
4: I grew up in a very legendary project. So Lovebug Starsky was from there. Little Whitey C. Um, legends. And so my, 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 one of my best friends, Lord finesse. Uh, he kept telling me he going to rap. He going to be famous. And one day I'm listening to red alert and they playing Lord finesse records. Right. And then diamond D where I used to write graffiti with Z rock. He came out and had a record and then showbiz and AG. And then, uh, these people, sometimes I'm one. Okay. that I have to see it to believe it? Mm. And so when I seen these brothers blow up, you know, I was in the street hustling, going bad. And I I said, this is my way out. So I went to the Apollo Theater and I went to Amateur Night and I won four weeks in a row. Mm. And that's where I met DJ Red Alert, who's the biggest DJ at the time. Damn right. Where he asked me, yo, you got something for me to play? I gave it to him. It was Flojo. And Flojo became my first single and it went number one in the country. And so this is how my 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 my, my life was unveiled. Mm. What's your favorite record that you've done throughout the years? My my favorite record is I got two. I can't give you one. Okay. I got Ja Rule's New York, me, Ja Rule, and Jada Kiss. That's right. Because in all mm. my years, I've never felt nothing. I got a honey gun down clip, man. I'm, it was nothing. It was like the pie pipe. We were shooting the video. People was coming out the um,
3: fire escapes.
4: Tung, like the whole New York was like behind us. And my my second one would be me and Big Pun twins deep cover. Mm. And that's what Pun did the dead in the middle a little little, littley, little. <laughs> then we know that we riddle to middle middle didn't do Right, like that right there was just such a moment. Uh we couldn't perform that once. We would perform that 10, 20 times in a row. The crowd would be like, they don't want to hear nothing. Mm-hmm. They want to hear that. And so we kept doing it. And I remember one time we did the legendary Apollo. And I honestly felt like the balcony was gonna crack because it was shaking and bouncing so much. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and uh they, they make, I realized they make stadiums and theaters almost like an airbender like you know how they test the airplane right because yo let me tell you something when that boy came out we had the same fur coats on we had the great we was looking too fly and and he came out and he said dead in the middle of and I watched people trying to jump off the balcony that they could not believe the man was doing it live and direct what? it wasn't like a studio thing he was doing it um it's crazy Digging in the Crates,
2: D-I-T-C. That's where you started your career. This is before you went solo.
4: What made you decide to go solo? I wanted to be the biggest, Steve. Mm. I wanted to be like you. And so we can start with people and we love everybody and they are comrades. And we salute them. But we had a bigger vision. You would have never got to where you at if you didn't have a bigger vision. So my thing was always, you know, I started in the streets. So I've always been an entrepreneur and a boss. Mm -hmm. So I had that mentality of creating my own crew. Never did I defer from Digging in the Crates. Even like three, four years ago, we put out a record together. Mm -hmm. These are my family. Like, I can't even, I'm not lying to you, Steve. I can't make up a better scenario. These guys are my brothers. You know, I, I, I hosted the BET Hip Hop Awards. I had Showbiz in the front row. I had Diamond D in the front row. I mean, we call each other all the time and we love each other to death, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to be a super duper star. And you know what's crazy is every time I hang out with my brother's show, he said, you did it. You yeah. wanted to be a superstar. He wanted this-
2: it. I- I'm glad you brought that up because see, I I, I not only listen to you, but I, I-, I listen to your podcast, what you do. I listen to some of the inspirational messages you try to send. I listen to interviews that you've done with numerous people. And one of the things that I remember peeling from what you said just a few months ago or whatever, you was talking about how making sure everybody get fed, making sure everybody mm. get fed. You can't climb alone and leave people behind because then you don't really, really have a team. And like you said, you was always a leader. And so as a result, people may have been deferential to you. The amazing thing that I find about you is that I don't see anyone, I have never seen anyone particularly in the hip-hop industry, that has rooted against you, ever. And that blows me away. I'm not saying that that definitively exists, but usually when cats got enemies, you know them. You know about them. You've heard about them. You get that kind of flavor, that kind of vibe. That's not something that's come with Fat Joe. A lot of people don't feel that way. You get a lot of love, a lot of re- not just respect, but a lot of love where people root for you. Is that real to you? Is that manufactured? If so, where does that come from?
4: And I would say a large part is real, um, you know, because we there for everybody, bro. Right. we there for everybody, young, old, whatever. You can holler at Fat Joe and he's going to hit you back. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you need something, he's going to help you. I can attest to that. Absolutely. You know, he's going to help you. And so I'm a hip hop historian, bro. And so I come from the pioneers. I learned the ropes through the guys who paved the way to now. And I have an obligation as an elder statesman to show nothing but love and transparency to my community. Now I can tell you one enemy I have. Uh, Us as creatives, we spend so much time trying to make a movie, trying to do a TV show, Mm -hmm. trying to make music. You know, these accountants. You know, I once went to jail for something I ain't do. And I Mm. did a whole bunch of crimes. If you read the book, it's pretty much, you know, I did it all. Right. right? But I went to jail for an accountant who took advantage of me and I was sending him wire transfers and the man wasn't paying my taxes and stuff. Mm -hmm. I showed the government proof of the wire transfers and they said, you as the leader of your household are responsible for who you hire.
2: Was that the whole tax evasion issue in 2012? Tax evasion, yeah. Went to About $3 jail million.
4: Dollars. Before, and I paid them all back before right. I went to jail. Right. And penalties and interest, right. right? So I pretty much went broke paying them all back. Come home, think of a plan. Me and my sister, Brandy get back all the way up. We back up. We open businesses. To think that in 2022, I just recently caught my accountant BDO stealing money from me, millions of dollars. And so I thought I was covered. Everybody you name without saying names, right. who's the biggest you ever seen music, entertainment, sports baseball players, past They're all with this firm. Mm. So I'm working. I'm like, you know, you swimming, trying to get the land. Um, I'm working, making t- great money thinking they got my back, to only look at the books and realize these people are stealing. they putting their kids through Catholic school. They're going in an the ATM. They made a fake credit card with my name. The same, you know, they know. When these people are your bookkeeper's accountants,
3: yes, they know your you're social You're depending on
4: them. You're relying on them. That's not your level of expertise. That's theirs. Where the women's going every day to the ATM, pulling out $1,000, $1,500. To- this is cre- in the office of BDO. Mm -hmm. And so what I can say is I got to go back to Oprah Winfrey. And she tried to tell us, write your own checks. Approve your own wires. And so we handling that. And I and I would tell anybody because I'm not dumb. Mm -hmm. So I would tell any artist, any athlete that has that type of service, somebody who pays your bills and all that to forensic. Get a forensic account just to make sure That's these right. people are on the up and up. Yeah. And nobody should feel uh disrespected if they're on the up and up.
3: This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, i push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? 50
2: Cent one time, you and him had a beef. Has that been... I know that was resolved. That was resolved a long time ago.
4: What was that about? (laughs) It was about that record that I just told you was my favorite record ever. (laughs) He had beef. You from Queens. He had beef with Ja Rule. Yep. And and Ja Rule and Irv Gotti.
2: Yeah. You know, I grew up...
4: I don't know if you know that. You know, I grew up with Irv Gotti. I I did not know. Yeah, yeah. These guys... Saved my life. Yeah. So big point that just passed. I'm going through depression. Friends are defecting. People don't believe me. I meet Irv Gotti by chance in the studio. We both booked the same studio. Mm. That's God. And so we telling jokes till like 7 in the morning. We never knew each other. Pun dies. Maybe like three months later, I get a phone call in the middle of the night. You still got house phone. And it's Joe. It's Irv Gotti. It's Ja Rule. And they like, come to the Hit Factory. So I go down there with my wife and they press play. Mm. And it's what's love (laughs) got to do, got Got to to do. These guys are like Drake is now at that time. Nothing but hits. They gave me a hit to change my life. Mm. So I'm loyal. Whether we win or lose, I got to stand by you. So while 50 Cent is pretty much... Having his way with Ja Rule, everybody ran. Mm. Everybody ran. So if, if if you look at Irv Gotti, I see some of his interviews. He bigs up this one, that one, that one, that one. When the smoke was on, they all ran. Mm. Fat Joe's the only guy that stood by Ja Rule mm. and Irv. Mm. And I actually gave him the record New York. It was what? my record. So yeah. I got him new, I gave him New York to help him in the middle of that battle. Also, the song he did with R. Kelly, uh, wonderful. One day I was traveling with Chris Gotti, who's one of my best friends,
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, to, to a Boston Celtics game. Right. This is when, what's the guy that used to dunk uh, crazy? Man, he used to come Which to one? the Rucker, too. Which nah, this is back about? in the day. Paul Pierce and all of them was was playing. It was, the, it was the championship we drove up. But anyway, Chris Gotti plays me. Ricky Davis. Ricky okay. Davis.
2: Ricky Davis, yeah. So,
4: we we driving up. He says, let me play you something. So he plays the, the Ja Rule song. And it's Ja Rule's voice going, if it wasn't for them, honey, cars and Jews and cars and Jews and all yeah. these things. And I said, yo, Chris, let me tell you something. The record is phenomenal. I said, but right now, they off Ja Rule. So this might not fly because he's not hot like that. I said, if you get R. Kelly on there, this thing would be bananas. At the time, R. Kelly was the biggest, biggest, yep. biggest in the world. Yeah. So I take the record, fly into Chicago, and a loyalty for them who saved me, and I convince R. Kelly to do the song. He didn't want to do the song. He was well, like, yo, they got beef. I was like, yo, you got to do it. This is my brother. So things like that, 50 Cent's hearing this, and he's like, oh, no, we got to get the fat boy. We, we, we got to knock him down because... It's almost like what we're doing. Uh, right. No disrespect to Ukraine. The United States just keep giving them missiles. And he's like, oh, no, this guy's feeding. Me, so, so I need beef with him. So real quick, how did it get resolved? You know, the guy who discovered me discovered 50 Cent, Chris Lighty. Mm. And he'd always want peace between us. Right. And so I went to the funeral of Chris Lighty by myself to make sure I didn't have none of my troublemakers with me. Me and 50 Cent Locked Eyes, the whole funeral felt uncomfortable. LL Cool J, Russell Simmons, everybody was in there. And then they asked me to do a tribute to Chris Lighty and the BET Awards. Mm. And I showed up. And it was 50 Cent, Missy, Busta, Tribe Called Quest. All of us was doing our thing. And they put 50's trailer in front of mine. Mm. Like, if anybody wanted to see fireworks, they tried it.
2: Right,
4: <laughs> And so, so I go to rehearse and one of my main guys, Pistol Pete, is walking through the metal detector and they won't let him through the security and 50 Cent says, Terror Squad, G Unit, we together. Mm. Pistol Pete, who did 20 years in jail, who heard every manipulator, any story you could think was right. looking like like a deer in hell. He could not believe <laughs> he heard that. Right. 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 <laughs> So we go to rehearse. I perform that 50 ends up performing right after me. And he stops right next to me. And he puts his hands out. And he says, peace for Chris Lighty. Mm. Now I'm looking at him. Because we build up so much hatred for this guy. Right. I'm thinking about the stuff he said about my kids. He said about my wife. Did, right. did, 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 did. And I said, peace. And he said, peace for mm. Chris Lighty. I shook his hand. And we've been brothers ever since. Wow. Says a beautiful. lot.
2: Says a lot. It's a beautiful story. It also, you know, it sure it shows on a bo- on the part of both of y'all, humility and love for Chris Lighting, obviously. Uh, level of humility, level of forgiveness on mm. y'all part as well. Mm. Uh, that's something to be uh, to acknowledged and noted. Unfortunately, we look at today's generation. And I think, Fat Joe, man, I I, I mean, I'm counting the number. What is it? 14 different rap artists killed this wow. year alone. This I, year, I mean, 14, bro. 14, you know, we have rest in peace. We have rest uh, what, in what peace. Is, I mean, talk to me about that.
4: We have rest in peace, Biggie, rest in peace, uh, Jam Master Jay Tupac. But they were like spaced out. It's like yeah. these kids are getting killed every other week and yeah. uh, take off who recently got killed, rest in peace. He's like the run DMC of this time. Yeah, He's not no regular, you know, he's a big deal, Mm. right? At a bowling alley, at a bowling alley, over nothing. You know, it's sad, Stephen A., but, you know, I wish we wouldn't hate our own and wouldn't be jealous of our own. We went, rappers went from being heroes to now, you know, being uh, targets. And, you know, so- social media don't help. Oh, his girl is better than mine. His car is flyer than mine. His this and this and all that stirs up this animosity. And so what we got to do is tell the youth that they're important. And when I look at a young brother like him die, I look at 100 families that could have ate from the jobs he give them. Um, His family who's suffering forever. Um, And I pray for all these kids. And I try, Steve. That's why I got this book. Mm-hmm. The Book of Jose with Total Transparency. Yep. So you could learn. You could have sold drugs. You could have been betrayed. You could have been whatever. Um, But you could fight through it. Mm. You know, you got to fight through it, man. And a lot of our, you, you know, you was crazier than you are now. I was crazier when I was young. But once you hit a certain threshold, a certain age, you start manhood. Yeah. And you don't start thinking like that. No well, much. especially when you got a wife, you got kids like you do.
2: You know what I'm saying? You're older in my 50s, like I am, the whole bit I got two daughters. I mean, you just think about things differently. There's a value on life that may not have exist, existed mm. before because everything that you're trying to achieve ain't for you. It's for mm. it's, it's for your family, it's for your loved
4: ones, it's for your community. Mm. Mm. That is correct, totally correct. Um, and so uh it's crazy, man, that these kids don't know. Look at me, man. I started in the projects. You know, when it was hot outside, we didn't have no AC. We sleep on the floor. You know, we ate rice and ketchup. You know, when we didn't have toilet paper, we wet newspaper and wipe our ass. I mean, you can't talk to me about no poor stuff. That's right. I know all about it. But to think a kid like that went to the White House this year with open arms and they, and they ran out. And there's one thing about Fat Joe, Stephen A., is... Our people, the black and brown, of course, the white people as well. Right. Yeah. But I'm talking about the people that work in the kitchen. That's right. The people who work beyond. They ran out like the Messiah was in the White House. Mm-hmm. Joe, oh, my God. They let a real, real they let a real one in here. They let a real <laughs> one. Like they losing their mind. Right. And shout out to the organization, Power to the Patients, that took me there Uh, It's all about bringing transparency because, you know, a lot of people losing their families, uh, losing their jobs, Mm -hmm. all about hospital bills. And the normal person don't know the hospital got to tell you what you're paying. Yeah. And if they don't, that's against the law. That's right. And some people go in the same hospital. You can have a 315 appointment and a 415 appointment. You pay 4000. The person behind you pays 300. Mm. We got to know the prices. Yeah. So um, it's been beautiful that I've been able to go through so much in my life and team up with organizations. And like you said, philanthropy, my whole thing is giving back.
2: Yeah.
4: My whole thing is giving back. I'm looking at it
2: now. And, you know, just for those who don't know your book, The Book of Jose is being adapted in a television series for Showtime. Uh, with, with, with big time producer Kenya Burris. Let's let's not, that, that brother's big time. That's He's something special. I can't wait to talk to him on this podcast as well. But I bring that up because the influence that you have, it seems to have grown and grown and grown over the years. And one of the things that I love, I don't know if anybody else has told you this. I love seeing you and my brother DJ Khaled together. It's something special. You know why? Because I'm not talking music. I'm not talking just music. I mean, sunshine, bring the light. And no, don't get me wrong. I know that. I was jealous of y'all being on that yacht without me. I ain't going to be there. I ain't going to lie. I was jealous as hell. I wish I was there with y'all. But I love how both of y'all seem to be making a direct, deliberate effort to be motivational, to be uplifting. Y'all seem to, in your own way, be addressing, attempting to address all the negativity that's going on out in this world and trying to eradicate it. Am I wrong in classifying it? That now, way? When, you
4: think, when you think of Khaled, you know, you got to think of athletes. And say uh, Dwayne Wade, so many athletes right. grew up in gang-infested neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. But the gang said, not him. not him, he's going to the A. Right. Not him, he's going to the NFL. Yep. And so... We a wild bunch of guys, Terror Squad. Yeah. You know, growing up, and so when we adopted Khaled twenty eight years ago, we knew he was a nice guy, beautiful soul. So we'd be like, "All right, he's with us, but let's make sure he goes free. Right. Let's let's see how." Because you, you, bro. you brought him on with you in nineteen ninety seven. You brought him on with you in nineteen ninety seven. Let's see how far he can go. We want to see. Right. And now, when I pull up in this house. And the ceilings to the sky and it's white marble everywhere and it's a staff. I can't do nothing but laugh like you laughing. I just can't believe it. Right. I'm like, wow. Yeah. And this guy keeps spreading his wing towards peace. And one thing I'm telling you that you pick is some people got to see it to believe it. Yeah. So when Callan is saying, no, let's love our kids. Let's love our queens. Yes. Let's love our families. Yep. Let's love God. Mm-hmm. that translates down to the people who really need to hear that message. And by the way, he ain't joking. He talk about his kid on, got an right. album, father of a son. You know what I'm saying? He said, you didn't believe
2: God did. Yeah, that's him. He ain't joking. Did, I mean, it, it's yeah. real. It's real. Right. I mean, I never thought the two words, another one could gravitate in my mind. Every time, every time I heard another one, I thought about Colin. You know what I'm saying? You, I mean, he's a marketing you ta- you genius. Ta-
4: you tapped into something, Steve. And I got to tell you, yeah. Right. Terror Squad, Big Rich over there, Dallas Cowboys. Yep. Oh, uh, they cock Diesel. They tough guys. Tough pass. A lot of them went yeah. to jail. That's not who protects, Joe. Right. My sisters, they do better than the guys. I got mm. a strong team of sisters. Right? Mm. But I finally figured out the key to success, to everything in life. It's God. Right. Not halftime, I'm talking about belief and faith in God. And one day I'm sitting in my house in Miami and we talking about Khaled. And, you know, I put Khaled on, I discovered him. But this guy getting to the bag so crazy. I'm doing me, but he's getting. And one day I'm talking to God and I said, God, I thought I was your favorite. Mm. I thought I was your child. I thought I was the blessed one. Right. And in the conversation, it hits me. Stay the course. God is going to protect. He's going to bless you. And so I run to Khaled's house because I get an per- epiphany. He lives five minutes from me in Miami.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Rush in his house. I tell you, you got a huge staff. Nobody's there. His wife ain't there. Nobody's there. I walk through the house, and he's in the jacuzzi faced away from me. And so when I walk up, he doesn't even know it's me. I say, yo, Khaled. I've been talking to God. Callie said, God is, God is the greatest. 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 He wouldn't stop. And I looked at him. I said, man, this guy knew it was God all along. Mm-hmm. He knew it was God all along for the blessings.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And so it's very important that we talking about that, that you know, uh, Anything's possible with God, man. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, well, You know, you can get through anything. He, he clearly has an edge on most of us because
2: he sees it or he saw it before most of us did. In your case, you just admitted he saw it before you did. But now that yes. you've seen it, now that you've seen it, my last question to you would be this. What's next for Fat Joe since you see now things that you never saw before?
4: You want me to lie to you or
2: you want me to tell you the truth? I always want the truth, my brother. You know that.
4: So much money. So much money. That I can stop. I can't count no more.
3: Mm.
4: And now, let me tell you about when Fat Joe gets money. It's a trickle-down effect. One day, I want to open up a school in the Bronx made out of glass that looks like 90210 right across the street from the projects. Mm-hmm where our kids are swimming and the best teachers are in there and the best and and, and I want it to be something state of the art that's what I really care about that's what I really love so that's what my future is going to be is how do I make so much money that I could turn around and uh make right with my promise to my people that I say don't worry I got you you guys let me live You know, you guys let me get through this. Don't worry, I got you. I will do something so phenomenal out there that for 100 years, they'll say, yo, it's a fat guy. Grew up in forest projects, Mm. out the mud, out the soil. Mm. He came out here, and boy, he did his thing. And so that's what I want.
2: I lied. One more question. Fat (laughs) Joe, why is it most people have a problem being called fat? You don't.
4: (laughs) Why not? I was fat Joey since I was born. I've never been (laughs) skinny. And so all the girls would be fat Joey. And it's crazy that you tell me that, oh, you know, Joey crack. People might think I got that from selling drugs. Mm -hmm. It's not from that. You know, when I grew up, junior high school, the teacher would ask me to write something on the chalkboard. And every time I got up, my pants would sag and the crack of my ass would show. Mm. And so the girls be like, eh, shall we crack? And so I kept the name and started writing it in graffiti and made it into my rap name. And so I embrace who I am. I've never been ashamed of who I am or where I come from. And, um, and and I'm so excited about the book of Jose and I want everybody to pick it up. Come to the Apollo, November 15th. No doubt. You're going to bless me with being the moderator Oh, uh, it's gonna be an exciting night. Tickets are flying, so you better run out there and go get it at the ticket master for the Apollo. Look, you know, yep. I got that. This. this is a big deal to me, Steve. This That's ain't right. cause you ain't because you here. I went to the Apollo to do a walkthrough and stole all these little pamphlets. They supposed to promote, but it's <laughs> me and you. That's right. <laughs> and so you know, it's a big deal.
2: It's a very big deal, but you you deserve it, man. I'm proud. I'm happy. I'm honored that you have me as being a part of it, man, because if anybody deserves it, it's you, man. I'm looking forward to doing it, man. And we will rap soon enough. I appreciate you, my man. Thank you for your time.
4: Thank you, my brother. Blessings. No doubt. We'll talk soon.
3: This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh The clock's ticking like my lifeline.
2: Thanks again to the man himself, the one and only Fat Joe. Can't wait till everybody sees us together tomorrow night, Tuesday night at the Apollo. Um, It's something special. I mean, when I look at him right now, ladies and gentlemen, from the South Bronx, look at where he's at now. Got homes in Miami, Lord knows where else. Happy wife, happy life, no doubt about that. The man's been married for 26 years. You don't hear that too often about rap artists. You don't hear that about them. Married happily for 26 years to his wonderful wife, Lorena. What are you going to say? It's something special. He's a businessman and entrepreneur acting as the CEO of his own label, Terror Squad Entertainment. He's a mentor to up-and-coming recording artists. Most importantly, a philanthropist and community organizer. as He worked to raise over a million dollars to help families who were devastated by a high-rise fire in his hometown of the Bronx, in January of this past year. What do you say? You know, when you think about it, I mean, as I think about listening, think about the things that he said during the interview, think about the profound impact that, you know, he's had. Think about how tight he is with DJ Khaled, who is a superstar. And DJ Khaled doesn't do anything but try to inspire people. Every time you turn around, think about it. Think about it. Better man than me. Better man than most.
4: Everything DJ
2: Khaled does is to try and inspire. He's going to live his life. He's going to make his money. He's going to be successful. He's going to keep on his grind. He's going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. They didn't believe. God did. Remember Fat Joe talking about he walked into DJ Khaled's house. Nobody answered. He didn't think anybody was there. DJ Khaled laying in the tub. Talking about God did this, God did that. And how inspirational it was to Fat Joe. Think about 50 Cent. 50 Cent's a hardcore brother, y'all. I might add, quite brilliant. I've interviewed 50 Cent before. That's a brilliant brother. And what he's doing on the Stars Network with his various shows, from power to Power Book 2 and, I mean, Method Man, Mary J. Blige, you know, and and what they're doing. You know, Kanan and that series and what they're doing. I mean, you got some phenomenal actors and actresses doing phenomenal work. 50 Cent could be one of those individuals that be like, bump all, you don't give a damn what y'all say, whatever. But what'd he do with Fat Joe? Walked up to him and said, peace, brother. Let's squash this, and they've been cool ever since. You heard Fat Joe tell that story. You know he's got a relationship with Jay-Z and others. Nas and others, I mean, what do you say? Networking, befriending. You know, you go from being in the streets and wondering whether you're going to live to see the next day to having an army of people supporting you with nothing but love. And We walk around here acting like we can't change. We can't morph into something greater. We can't evolve. We can't get better. We can't avoid or stop being stagnant. That don't apply to those brothers. This is why I got so much love for them. Because what they bring to the table is something we can and should all have in our possession. An insatiable appetite, a strong willingness, a determination, a commitment to marching forward. To being progressive. To being about helping your fellow man and woman. Sounds corny. But ain't it true? This is what Fat Joe brings to the equation. This is what he's brought to the table. And as a result, the brothers living the life. Bring the light in. Him and DJ Khaled. Sunshine. Remember when that came out during the pandemic? All of us was hyped off of that song. We needed it bad. Remember how we were feeling throughout cities throughout the United States? You walk, you're driving down the street. All the streets was empty. There was no vaccine. Businesses was closed. People were losing their jobs. Bills were still coming. We were wondering what the hell was going to go on. Whether or not any of us was going to survive, let alone prosper. Doomsday had arrived. Now we get in the streets. We happy to see traffic jams. We happy to see stadiums packed. We happy to see arenas packed. We happy to see normalcy kick in, even when it ain't perfect. Because it reminds us we're still alive. And that means there's still things to accomplish. That's what Fat Joe did. That's what he enlightened us with with this interview that he just did. With yours truly. And I'm thankful and I'm grateful. The grind never stops, y'all. No matter what obstacles you face, you can overcome. It all depends on how committed you are, how disciplined you are, how focused you are, how bad do you want it. And an unwillingness to cut corners to get there. Greatness from so many others teaches us that every time you hear one of these conversations. This one was the latest. To Fad Joe, number the best, The Book of Jose. Make sure y'all get it. Apollo Theater with yours truly, Stephen A. Smith. Tuesday night, November 15th, coming up. Can't wait. He's got so much to say, so much knowledge to drop. All of us need to listen. Because when you listen, you learn. When you learn, you get better. As Maya Angelou once said, when you know better, you do better. That's how it goes. In the end, everybody's got different ways of expressing it and saying it and teaching it and edifying all of us. But it all comes down to the same thing. When you know better, you do better. At least you're supposed to. And when you don't, it's because you made a choice and it was a bad one. But the more you learn, the better the chances are that you'll make good choices. Which is why we all reach out to give to one another. Thanks so much to Fat Joe. Thank you all for listening. Stay tuned to No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith. Coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And remember, no matter what my day job looks like, I say to you as I always do, you don't have to know sports to no mercy. Peace and love, everybody. Until next time. Guess who's got a memoir coming out, ladies and gentlemen? Yours truly, Stephen A. Smith. It's entitled Straight Shooter, and it's available right now for pre-order. I have signed these books, just so you know. So you can visit straightshooterbook.com to order your autographed copy today. In the book, I talk about my life before ESPN, growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, how sports proved to be my salvation. I talk about some of the mistakes I've made in my life and my impact on the world of sports. The book is called Straight Shooter, and it's written to help motivate you to overcome setbacks that have maybe prevent you from reaching your dreams so go right now and order your autographed copy of my memoir straight shooter don't wait it's entitled
0: straight shooter check it out don't miss it at bed 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every home run every hit every inning every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field